Thanks, bud. Well, as we send off these seniors, and uh, I think most of us, uh, if you have kids in school or whatever, you're kind of wrapping that up for the year. This is kind of the time of year where a lot of different things end. Um, I'm actually going through a master's degree program right now. I'm halfway uh, to, I just finished my second of four years through this uh, master's in theological studies. Uh, it's been an incredible program. It's called the Missional Training Center, and Redemption is actually a key kind of uh, investor in, in getting it started, an accredited master's program. So I'm, I've come to the end of my year. I'm halfway through seminary for the second time in my life, and uh, hope, hoping that I'll get the rest of the way this time. Um, but this program has been really, really interesting and really helpful, and especially in helping me read the Bible better. I would describe the way that I had read the Bible largely, not only, but largely before uh, this master's degree program, I'd largely read the Bible devotionally. It's good to read the Bible devotionally, right? You open it up and you, you kind of ask, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to get my attention about? What do, you, what do you want to do in my life? And it's great to read the Bible devotionally. What I've learned, especially over these last few years, is to learn to read the Bible missionally. Now, you may not have ever heard that word, and that's okay. Here's what I mean. The Bible was written not just to sort of pietistically encourage individuals. It was written to shape the people of God to be faithful in their mission. That's what I mean, to be read missionally. The, the Bible, every part of it, isn't just written to sort of, here's some interesting historical stories, here's some interesting bits, here's some personal encouragements. It has all of that stuff. But it was written fundamentally to shape the people of God, to be faithful where they are planted, so that the nations would look at them and go, that's how we should live. It was written to shape the people of God who are going into a dark world, who are going to Australia, who are going down the street, who are going to work and school and soccer games, to be the people of God representing him to the world. And so when we read the scriptures, we don't just read it devotionally, going, how does this make me feel? Is this positive and encouraging for me today? That's fine. But we read it saying, Lord, you're trying to shape us to be your representatives in the world. And that changes how you read the scriptures. And actually, I think that's how we're supposed to read the scriptures. And, and Titus has been a wonderful example of that as we conclude uh, not just the school year, but we conclude this book of Titus. Is This book has been written to shape a people, specifically to shape this new baby church in the island of Crete uh, that the apostle Paul had started. He'd handed off leadership to the guy that he'd developed, Titus. And this letter's written to shape them and to help them to be more faithful. Now, this really is why we do all the ministry we do. We are called to be uh, faithful ambassadors, representatives of Jesus, all the places we go. That's why we say all of life is all for Jesus. And so here at Redemption Gateway, we have the same mission as the scripture does, which is to help uh, create healthy, vibrant disciples who go out and represent Christ. So uh, as we get started, I want to tell you about something uh, that if we have your email address, you're going to get an invitation to this. This isn't the whole point of the sermon, by the way. This is just a little parenthetical thing as we get started is um, we have a tool for you that we feel like is going to really help you to be shaped, to be more faithful as the people of God. It's a tool called Right Now Media. And uh, it's something that across redemption we have invested in and we are giving to you as a gift. We're giving it to every person that's part of our church. And what it is, is it's like the Netflix of Bible study and Christian training. 
So over 10,000 Bible study videos that you can access anywhere, anytime, on your computer, your smartphone, your iPad, your tablet. If you have Apple TV or Roku or Chrome, Chromecast, it, it works on those things. And this is just an incredible library. You can kind of just get a little bit of a picture of, of what it looks like. Uh, teachers like Matt Chandler and Paul Tripp and Tim Keller and Andy Stanley and Tony Evans and Jen Wilkin and uh, all the 33, the series. Some of you guys have been part of those men's Bible studies we've done. All that stuff is on there. Uh, 10,000 hours. There's uh, Tim Kimmel teaching on foster care and adoptive parenting. There's just unbelievable stuff. And the idea of it is that you have the, you, you go, you know what, I could really use some help right now with this issue. You can go on here, you can look up videos, you can get training. There's all kinds of great Bible studies and teaching. You're going, I want to I'm, I'm reading the book of Philippians and I feel stuck. All right, let's get on there and, and study the book of Philippians. Let's see what Matt Chandler had to say about it. So just an incredible resource for you. Um, and then for those of you with kids who are coming home for the summer and you're half excited and half like, uh-oh, what are they gonna do all day? Um, and uh, you know, obviously you're gonna try to cut down on screen time, but one of the things that this uh, resource also has is thousands and thousands and thousands of kids' shows and videos and all sorts of stuff. Veggie Tales is on there. Uh, What's in the Bible is on there. What's in the Bible, it was actually made by the same guy who uh, did Veggie Tales. And he said, you know what? I want to actually create something that has a little bit more robust kind of theological training. So it's like the Muppets go to seminary is what's in the Bible. <laughs> and uh, again, all of this we're just giving to you because we wanna help you be faithful. We wanna help you be missional, not just in learning, right? You don't just fill up your head, but as we've seen in Titus, this book was written that we would grow in our faith, in our knowledge of the truth, and in our godliness. And that's why we wanna make this available to you. So you don't have anything you have to do. If, you, if we have your email address, if you get our emails, uh, we will be sending that to you. If, we, if you don't get our emails, make sure on your connection card that you put your email address on there uh, because we wanna be able to send this to you. And uh, my hope is that it will really encourage you uh, over, over the years, all right? So that's what that's about. Yeah, you're welcome, yeah. All right, well, as we finish this book, we've seen that, that the Apostle Paul's trying to shape the people of God to be faithful. We saw at the very beginning, faithful chapter one in the church, chapter two, faithful in the home, chapter three now, faithful in the world. And he's concluding now this letter that he's written to this close friend of his, and here's our big idea for today. Here's the, the absolutely key thing, is that successful mission demands focus. Successful mission demands focus, right? Get this, the Apostle Paul, he's been writing this letter saying, we want to reach Crete. And Crete is a godless place. Crete is a place where everyone just does what's right in their own eyes. Crete is a place where uh, everyone, it said back in chapter 1, uh, verse 12, uh, this is even what a Cretan said. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul says, that testimony is true. He's saying, into that context, go be a faithful missionary. Well, if we're going to be together, not just individually, again, as as individual missionaries, but together, if if Redemption Gateway is going to be successful in our mission to influence through love and through good deeds and through speaking the gospel, the good news about Christ, if we're going to do that in our community, it demands focus. There's some things we got to really pay attention to, and there are some things that could very easily distract us. 
So that's what we're going to look at today, is what's the focus of the people of God if we're going to be successful in our mission? And then what are the potential distractions? That's what Paul addresses here in this passage. All right? So here's our focus, and this is what we see from verse 8. We studied this in depth last week, but this is all one train of thought, so I want to go back to this. Uh, The focus uh, of, of, of our mission is this, good news that leads to good works. Good news that leads to good works. Look in your Bible with me at Titus chapter 3, verse 8. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. I want you to stress these things. Well, what were the these things? We looked at this last week, but it's worth going back. The these things are what he describes in, chapter, in verses 3 through 7. He says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, this is verse three, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we were. Verse four, but, here's the good news, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's what Paul says, insist on this, stress this. And that's the good news, right? Listen, some of you, you're belief about what Christianity is, which is one of the reasons you've resisted it, is that it's just, you got to work harder. You got to do better. You got to be more moral. Do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. You got to do the works of righteousness for God to be happy with you, for you to feel right about yourself, right? That's, that, does that feel like good news? Your standing with God is dependent on your ability to always do the right thing. That doesn't sound like good news. That sounds like horrible news. I can't do it. There's no way. I can't. So the good news is that even though you were foolish and disobedient and all of those things, Jesus came, Jesus appeared, Jesus epiphanied, and he saved you, and he washed you, and he renewed you, and he sent his Holy Spirit to you, and he made you an heir Right? We, we say this a lot. Uh, heirs receive an, an inheritance. Well, who has an inheritance to receive? Children of rich people. Right? Our kids don't. But, but rich people, their kids are heirs. They're going to receive something. We're, we're now heirs because of what Jesus has done. That's good news. So our focus is on good news And we're just going to keep beating that drum, keep beating that drum, keep beating that drum over and over. This is what we mean when we say we're a gospel-centered church. We're just going to keep beating the drum, keep beating the drum of the good news that Jesus has done what you could never do. So our focus is on that good news that leads then to good works. And that's what he says in verse 8. Insist on these things, he says, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. That's our focus. Listen, Titus, as you're trying to make an impact in the world, people are going to be looking at your life. You realize that, don't you? You realize that the church of Jesus Christ is the movie trailer of the kingdom of God? Right, you you see movie trailers. How many of you like movie trailers? 
How many of you just, you go, I get popcorn during those. I don't like, I love them. But, but, and when you watch a movie trailer, you see actual footage of the movie. If it's a good trailer, you don't see the whole movie, right? Sometimes you go, I don't need to see that. I just watched the three minute version, right? But a good trailer shows you real footage and it makes you long for more. The people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, we are to be a good movie trailer to the world. They should look at us and go, that's what it's actually like to live in the kingdom of God. And it should make them thirsty. Oh, I want to see the full thing. I want to see the full picture. Well, if that's going to happen, Paul says, we need to be people who are focused on good news. You can be made right with God regardless of what you've ever done, but only on the basis of trusting in Jesus. That's good news, and then it leads to good works. It leads to a life of love. It leads to a life of obedience where you're not obeying God because you have to, but because you love him. And when that's what drives your obedience, the world around goes, there's something different to that. I want to ask some questions. What's going on there? And that focus, Paul says, is this is what should drive us. What drives us is good news leading to good works. Good news leading to good works. Good news leading to good works. And nothing else should get in the way. Personalities aren't the most important thing in the church. Controversies, we don't want to get lost in those. We're going to focus on good news that leads to good works. And you can actually see the focus that Paul has if you look at the last part of this letter. Look down to verse 12. Paul says something really interesting here. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. I guess Paul was a snowbird and that's where he wanted to go. But isn't it interesting, Paul's writing this letter to Titus and saying, Titus, get things established there, but then leave and come be with me. What does that show you? That shows you that the mission isn't dependent on the leader, Right? If it was dependent on the leader, he'd go, Titus, you can never leave. Everything hangs on your shoulders. You have to absolutely stay there forever. No, 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 no. Hey, once these guys get here, they're capable, they're good leaders. Once they're there, you leave. Because what matters is good news that leads to good works. And then, because of that's the focus, you take care of the needs. You, you, you help people. Verse 13, do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. These are more people that are going to be coming, probably the people actually who carried this letter. He says, uh, do your best to get them back on the road and see that they lack nothing. Let your good works, right? Here, here's verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. He says, listen, I'm going to give you practice right now. The people who have brought this letter, Zenus the lawyer and Apollos, take care of their needs. Give them food. Give them money. Give them what they need so that they can keep going on their journey. Practice good works. Now, why? Because the mission, it's not dependent on a leader. It's not dependent on a personality. It's dependent on good news that leads to good works. But in the middle of this passage, Paul tells us that there are two things in particular that can really distract us, that could get us off course from this focus. This is what we see in verses 9 to 11. There are two distractions. Here's what they are. Foolish controversies and factious people. Foolish controversies and factious people. Verse 9 describes the foolish controversies. Here's what he says. But avoid foolish controversies. 
genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. I don't know if you noticed that the title of our sermon today is, Don't Be Dumb. Did you notice that? Um, Which I find really ironic, actually. If you look in the program where the sermon notes are, you see we misspelled, Don't Be Dumb. Said, Don't Be Dumb. Okay, well, see if you're paying attention. Why would, I mean, I, it's funny as we, as we talk about that, that title, some people are like, oh, I hope that doesn't offend people. Well, I, I guess I hope not too, but, but the reason we use that word dumb is because that's the word Paul uses, right? Avoid foolish controversies. Here's what that word foolish means. Here's what it is. It's devoid of wisdom, good sense, or sound judgment, stupid. Right, that's what he's saying. Avoid stupid controversies. Avoid controversies that are devoid of wisdom, that, are, that lack sound judgment. Just don't have anything to do with that. Why? Because it's a huge distraction from good news that leads to good works. Notice even the contrast in verses 8 and 9 between good works and foolish controversies. Look at this. Uh, good works in verse 8, what does he say? Are excellent and profitable versus foolish controversies, what does he say at the end of verse nine? They are unprofitable and worthless. Do you see the contrast? He says, listen, we're to be the people of God focused on good works. Those are profitable. Those are excellent. Don't get distracted. Don't get off course with foolish controversies, quarrels, divisions, genealogies, all this nonsense stuff that's unprofitable and worthless. That raises the question, how do, we, how do we gauge whether something is unprofitable and worthless? How do we know if something is kind of outside of the level of importance? Because there's a lot of things, aren't there? There are a lot of things that you see Christians get real caught up in. And they think they're important, right? No one gets real into it and fights real hard for it if they don't think it's important. But we have to have some discernment as the rest of the church to go, is that is that core to our mission? Or is that actually an unprofitable, worthless distraction that I need to get, not get caught up in? Well, Wayne Grudem's a, a seminary professor here in town in Phoenix Seminary and uh, just a terrific guy. And he, I, I've heard him speak before, and he has described um, two questions that he uses to try to determine, is this an essential doctrine? Is, or is this an essential issue that we're focusing on? Or is this something that's just not important and therefore we don't need to fight about it? It doesn't need to be something that we gin up a lot of controversy about. And the two kind of grids that he uses, I think this is really helpful. Uh, the first one is this. How close is this to the heart of the gospel? So pick an issue. Is it important? Is it something we should dig our heels in on, right? Because there are times when Paul takes a controversial issue, the book of Galatians is a good example, where there's a controversial issue about the law and about circumcision and about uh, whether you could eat uh, unclean food and these sorts of things, and he writes a whole letter to it, and he digs his heels in, he gets involved. Why? Well, because that's close to the heart of the gospel. If you're saying you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, that's really different than you need to be trusting in Christ, right? So is it close to the heart of the gospel? So another example, uh, the virgin birth, is that really important? Yes, 
Yes. Why? Because it's really close to the heart of the gospel. If Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then Jesus inherited sin. And the gospel tells us that Jesus was a sinless substitute, a sinless savior. So that's very important because it's close to the heart of the gospel. Uh, What about specifics about the end times? Who the Antichrist is, what country he comes from, will there be a tribulation, will there be a rapture, will it be post-trib, pan-trib, is that close to the heart of the gospel? No. Now, get this, does that mean it's irrelevant? No. Does it mean you shouldn't have a strong view about it? No. It does mean you shouldn't get caught up in a lot of controversies and quarrels and discussions about that in ways that distract you from good news that leads to good works, right? So is it close to the heart of the gospel? That's one question. Here's a second criteria. What other doctrines are impacted by this? So is it close to the heart of the gospel and are there other doctrines, other teachings that have kind of a a domino effect based on how we believe about this, right? So this would be one of the reasons why we really believe strongly in the inspiration and the inerrancy of scripture. Why? Because what you believe about the scripture has a ripple, it has a domino about everything else, right? What doctrines are impacted by our view of scripture? Lots of doctrines. Or the Trinity, that God has eternally existed, Father, Son, and Spirit, in in three persons. That, I don't know if I totally get it, I don't know if I totally understand it, when my kids ask about it, I go, good question. But it's really important because lots of other doctrines are attached to it. What about the miraculous sign gifts? Is prophecy for today, the role of tongues, words of knowledge? Are a lot of other doctrines attached to that? No. What about uh, your school choice? Public, private, homeschool, charter? Right, and there's like endless choices now. I probably missed one. Is that, are a lot of doctrines dependent on that? No. What about your economic policy? How open should the market be? How much government intervention should there be? Is there a lot that really hinges on that from a theological perspective? No. Again, doesn't mean you don't have views doesn't mean they're totally irrelevant, right? Economic policy is a big deal if you want to think about how we love our neighbor. But it, but it means that as Christians who are the visiting team in a world that's increasingly hostile and increasingly paying attention, do you want to be known for your economic policy and your school choice or do you want to be known for good news that leads to good work? Maybe, just maybe 50 years ago, it was all kind of one package, or it felt that way. It's not anymore. And you will be known for something. Make it the most important thing. Paul says, don't get, don't get distracted in this. This stuff is unprofitable. It's worthless. Not to have a view on it, but to quarrel about it, to fight about it, to have endless disagreements about it. Uh, Tim Chester has been a really helpful commentator throughout this Titus series. Here's what he says. He says, it may be true that our preaching stresses the gospel, but our conversations so often stress controversy. The letters and emails that people write stress controversy. 
the points that people raise, stress controversy. We agree on the kindness of the Father, the renewal of the Spirit, the grace of the Son, and the hope of eternal life. And these things are excellent and profitable. But we put our energy into controversies, arguments, and quarrels. We do this even though Paul says such things are unprofitable and useless. Ouch. Isn't that true? I know, I mean, I've been to a lot of pastor's conferences and at the breaks, what do you talk about? You talk about the latest controversies. You talk about the latest, oh, do you believe what he said? Did you know about this? Right? And, and churches are no different. Here's a question. Are you a buffer or a channel for controversy? When controversies and, and ooh, did you hear about that? And kind of gossip, whether it be Christian gossip or worldly gossip or all sorts of issues that people are very upset about secondary things, are you a channel for it? Where it actually, you've greased the skids and that controversy just whoosh, it just keeps on going. Let's spread it around. I'm a channel for controversy. Ooh, it comes to me, whoosh, it goes everywhere. Or are you a buffer? It comes in, whoosh, doesn't go anywhere. Because you go, that's not that important. That's not what I'm known for. That's not going to help me grow in my understanding of good news that leads to good works. I was in Colorado last summer. Some of you know I'm from there. And uh, when you drive in the mountains, it can be a very perilous experience. And one of the things that's so fascinating, and I've seen these in Arizona from time to time, but they're really, really fun in Colorado, are these runaway truck ramps. You ever seen one of these? <laughs> right? Like everything in me just wants to go for it. Like... <laughs> What would happen, right? And I'm in my little scion. Like I'd probably get about 10 feet in the sand, right? What that is, is when there's a big semi-truck whose brakes are out and it's gonna either just fly around that curve and probably crash into the rocks or it's gonna go up this runaway truck ramp and stop, it's a buffer. The controversy of our day is speeding downhill at mock speed. Be a runaway truck ramp where it stops with you. You don't retweet it. You don't reshare it. You don't go, hey, did you hear about this? Why? Because Paul says it's unprofitable and worthless. There's no value. And it's distracting you from your mission. So foolish controversy gets us off course, but so do factious people. So do factious people. That's verse 10. And verse 10 is really strong. This is an amazingly strong statement Paul makes. He says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So it seems like Paul's saying in verse nine, listen, there are uh, Christians who can get just caught up in foolish controversies. They can get caught up in these silly quarrels. They can get caught up in these things. And here's what I would just say experientially. Usually when that happens, it's happened because a Christian has stopped marveling at the gospel. The thing that really excites them is the controversy, not the good news. Which is why we wanna focus on the good news. So there are good people that can kind of get swept away in controversy. Paul says there are other people who they dig their heels in on controversy. 
and they dig their heels in. And it could be relational, it could be issue-based, whatever it is. Paul says, listen, you gotta be careful for these people. These are the people, verse 10, who stir up division. Every controversy, they're involved. Every relational tension, they're near it. Every area of gossip and backbiting and have you heard the rest of the story involves them. What do you do with that? Well, Paul says, and again, he's writing to Titus here as a leader of the church saying, hey, you gotta protect the church. And the health and the unity of the church trumps the desires of an individual. A good shepherd protects the sheep. And that means sometimes you gotta shoot wolves. Paul says, hey, before you shoot, here's what I want you to do. After, uh, for a person that serves up division, warn him once and then twice. Right, there's patience here. They're saying, hey, I'm seeing a trend. I'm seeing a pattern. You've got to stop this. We've done this as an elder team before where we've sat down with a person often with a formal letter that says, you're violating this passage with this behavior. It needs to stop. And our goal with that isn't to be punitive. It's to say, hey, the body of Christ, the unity of our church is more important than you just expressing all your opinions. So knock it off. And the goal is for them to be won back. But if it doesn't happen, right? If they ignore it and then they ignore it again, he says, have nothing more to do with them. Why? Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. That word warped means perverted. It doesn't mean sexually perverted. It means they've been pulled out of shape. Right, I, I hate, oh, this is one of my biggest pet peeves is when my kids, they're not in this service, so I can say this. Any of you ever kids where they, they like to jump on your backs, surprise from behind? And a lot of times what they do is they grab my, the collar of my shirt, especially a t-shirt, and they hang on it. And now the nice shirt has become like a, <laughs> I need to wear a tank top under it, you know, like. And the shirt's, been, the shirt's been warped, the shirt's been distorted, it's been pulled out of shape. Paul's saying there are people who have been so focused on these other things instead of the gospel and their faith has been pulled out of shape, it's been distorted and it's sinful. And if they're gonna dig their heels on it and they're gonna be known for the controversy and the division, they're gone. Oh man, that sounds, that sounds harsh. Yeah, he says a person's warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. Is it really that bad? Yeah, it's that bad. In fact, Paul, in his other letters to another guy that he had trained and developed in ministry, to Timothy, he says equally strong things. Look at what he says in 1 Timothy 6. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Does that describe any of you? An unhealthy craving for controversy, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. That's pretty strong. Puffed up with conceit, understands nothing, unhealthy craving, depraved, deprived says a similar thing in 2 Timothy 2. This is the last letter that Paul wrote, at least that we have record of. He says, so flee, Timothy, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What's he saying there? He's saying, focus on good works or good, good news that leads to good works. 
And then here it is, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and get, get this, this is, so, this is such strong language. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Whoa! That means this division, this controversy, this always getting caught up in that, marveling and being intrigued by that instead of the gospel, you know what that is? That's demonic. I always laugh in a meeting when someone says, well, you know, I'm just gonna play the devil's advocate here for a minute. Really? You think he needs an advocate? And believe me, I like, to do, I like to play that game as much as anybody. That's why I'm so familiar with this. I can see it so well. It's demonic, right? It's the serpent who comes to Eve and says, well, is that really what God said? Are you sure? I don't know. I don't know if we can trust it, right? There's division. Paul says this is serious, serious business. And there's too much at stake. Right, Paul started a church in Crete, a totally irreligious, unchurched place. And he's saying, I want it to be fruitful. I want it to be successful. Let's not get distracted. Yo, yeah, yeah, well, that, that, was, that was there, and it was really bad there. But, you know, it's not that bad here. Really? You know, Barna, uh, the Barna organization, they do lots of research related to the church. And they uh, did some research last year of the most unchurched cities in the United States. And by unchurched, they meant uh, what percentage of people in that city uh, have not been to a Christian church in the last six months? What do you think is number one? San Francisco. Number two, Burlington, Vermont. Feel the burn. Number three, Boston. Not shocking. Number four, Portland, Maine. Number five, Chico, Redding, California. That's north of Sacramento where all the hippies went to live, I think. <laughs> Number six, Las Vegas. Any surprises yet? Number seven, Seattle. Number eight, Albany, New York. Number nine, Phoenix, Arizona. Number 10, New York City. You didn't think that, did you? I don't know a single person in Phoenix that hasn't felt surprised at that. I don't know why. Maybe we've conflated, maybe all these other places are such politically liberal places and we've too conflated you know, Christianity with republicanism. And we go, well, it's, very cons it's politically conservative here, so it must be Christian. Hmm, maybe not. We're surrounded by people who don't go to church, who don't have the love of Christ filling their life, saving them, washing them, renewing them, making them inheritors of God's promises. We're surrounded by it. In fact, our church, about 20% of you that have called this church home, you didn't come you didn't have anywhere you went to church before you came here. 
And you know this, right? And there are millions of people like you in our city. What are we going to be known for? Think about the people in your office. Think about the people in your neighborhood. Think about the people that you interact with at the coffee shop you like to frequent or the gym you go to. They're not thinking about eternal things. They're not thinking about the fact that they are going to hell if they die apart from Christ. Everybody spends eternity somewhere. They may not be thinking about it, but we need to. And if we're too busy, caught up in political drama and family drama, and all kinds of theological controversy. The thing that breaks my heart about it is that's energy that we're not spending on the mission. I'll just tell you, there is so much time, as I look at our whole pastoral staff, there is so much time that we end up spending diverted from really training and equipping the people of God to go be faithful because we got to go put out a bunch of dumb relational fires with people who have been caught up in controversies and quarrels. It's a waste of time. I sometimes watch what I've written or what other people have written on blogs or social media and I go, how much time did we spend on that? And I don't want to get to the end of my life and have Jesus say, how much time did you spend bickering fighting, quarreling about nonsense. When I left you there to rejoice and delight and marvel in the good news and then focus on living a life of love as a result. I don't want to hear that question. You don't want to hear that question. We want to be the faithful people of God. Not just devotionally, oh, we feel good and we feel positive and we feel encouraged, but shaped for the mission, prepared to go into the world, armed with good news and good works for the sake of God's glory. Don't you want to be those people? Let's pray.